When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi everyone, this is Dan Lobby and welcome to Monday's Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Today we're previewing Monday Night Football between the Browns and the Ravens. We start the show off with an interview with ESPN's Lewis Riddick in town as part of the broadcast team for tonight's game. Riddick talked with me about what he's seeing from the Browns, Kevin Stefanski, and Baker Mayfield now and looked back on his time playing with the Browns. Riddick played for the Browns from 1993 to 1995, including the last time they won a playoff game. Then PenLive.com's Aaron Kazanitz joins us to preview the Ravens and get us all caught up on everything we need to know about the Browns' division rival. First, of course, let me tell you about Football Insider, where you get exclusive access to Browns stories on Cleveland.com, a newsletter in your inbox every day written by a member of our Browns reporting team, and you can get involved in our texting program, where Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, and I will text you with news, nuggets, and more. You also get a chance to get involved in picking games on this podcast and participating in our live post-game Zooms. Head to cleveland.com slash browns and click on the blue banner at the top of the page for more info and to get signed up. We start our podcast today with my interview with ESPN's Lewis Rick. Let's just get started, kind of your thoughts on on the current team. Um, When you watch them, what do you see? I think I see, you know, first and foremost, you know, the number one thing that they talk about internally, meaning the people who are affecting the product on the field the most, that being the players and coaches, is the team that's on the same page, that's all pulling in the same direction, that Kevin Stefanski has brought with him a process and a way of wanting to play the game that looks very clear and well-defined on the field. The players are talking about it in that context off the field. And it's obviously a winning formula because they are winning games and they're winning close games. And they're doing it in largely the same way each week with obviously different twists and turns. And that's something that I believe is a, is a hallmark of of all good teams. They know who they are. They know how they want to win. Obviously, they may have to do some certain things better than others in different weeks in order to ultimately get the win. But by and large, you could t- you could identify, or rather, most people who watch football could tell you what kind of team this is. And it's no different than when you talk about, like, that 94 team. People knew who we were then, which was defense-dominated team, Strong running team, opportunistic passing team, great on special teams, and you were going to have to bring it for three and a half hours or however long the game took to beat us. This team, strong running team, improving passing game, a defense that is continuing to improve with some very good individual players that are starting to play better together collectively. And they execute in situations better and better each week in terms of third down, two-minute, four-minute football. And that, that's, that's got to be refreshing and fun for Cleveland fans to see. 
because we know that it's been chaos <laughs> since they returned to the league, and it's not chaos anymore. Right, exactly. And, you know, I mean, you mentioned Kevin Stefanski. Um, you know, what what have you observed from him kind of from afar? And then, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. sure if you've gotten a chance to talk to him yet this week or not, but, but sort mm-hmm. of your impressions of him, you know, and, and sort of what he's building here. Yeah, um, yeah, I've actually gotten to do both, obviously, watching from afar and then talk to him. Um, he, he's, like, uh, like I was saying, offensively, his system is, you know, what you would see from the Gary Kubiak, Mike Shanahan type of tree. It's outside zone, running game, multiple backs who run very hard, downhill one-cut runners, break a lot of tackles. That that's who he wants to be. He's a former tight end coach, so you see a lot of three tight end sets on the field. You see that consistently, and the way they utilize them, they all do different things. That's Gary Kubiak. That's Mike Shanahan. That's Kevin Stefanski, and a lot of play action pass. That's Kevin Stefanski. That's Gary Kubiak. That's Mike Shanahan. So you know what you're getting with this team, and they and they they stay true to it, and. The thing about it is, I mean, he's a new coach who's trying to put his stamp on a football team without an offseason, and it's continuing to evolve. So I think you're, you're more and more going to see exactly what this team wants to be. But I think you, you obviously have a good indication of what it's going to be. And then on the defensive side, like I said, they're, they've made some big moves. They have some big-name players, particularly on the front in the front seven, on the D-line in particular. And... Um, They've been beat up a little bit in the secondary. You know, their best their best secondary player is not going to play Monday night, but they 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 have some dynamic dynamic athletes on that side of the ball, and it's just it's neat to see them play winning football, smart football, and not dumb football. As far as turning the ball over unnecessarily, they're getting away from that. As far as blown assignments, giving up big explosive plays on defense, they're getting away from that. And that's all credit to him because he sets the the culture. He's but you know by way of his philosophy and by way of taking that all of that, teaching it to his coaches, who then teach it to the players. So I mean, I mean we could go on and on about this, but he's doing a great job. He just is, and, and now it culminates at this point in a big, big game against the, the franchise that used to be here. <laughs> Which is, you know, ironic given in and of itself that has basically bullied them forever, for years. So, and on Monday Night Football, I mean, how, how cool is that for Cleveland, man? I mean, I remember I played on Monday Night in Cleveland twice. I think once in 93 we played the 49ers, and then we played, played on Monday Night in 95 against Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, it's, it's, just, it's just a damn shame that fans aren't allowed to assume we're in this pandemic because otherwise this town would be coming out of its skin right now. And that that's the thing I remember most. I'm talking about that 94 team and that last playoff win, I can remember the drive into the stadium that day like it was yesterday. I can remember the night before. It was New Year's Eve. I remember I was in the bed by 10 o'clock because Bill let us stay at home and said, you guys better not go out. You guys better police yourselves because we have the biggest game you know, that we've had here in a long time. I remember Pepper Johnson and Carl Banks said, if I catch any of you guys out on the street, I'm going to kick your ass personally. And we all, I was like, don't worry about me. I'll be in the bed. 
And just driving in that day and going down to the old stadium, it was awesome. They had the orange shakers, you know, like it was like a college game. It was like Auburn, Alabama in the stadium that day. This, this city deserves big games, man, like that. And this is a big one just like that. You know, I, I'll get back to the, the current team, but I do want to kind of go down that, that road a little bit more. Mm-hmm. When you think about, I've, I'm sure in the you know in the moment you don't quite understand that historical significance of that coaching staff, right? Because Bill mm-hmm. became Bill later. But mm-hmm. when you kind of look back at the people that were coaching that team, even in mm-hmm. the front office of that team, did, sure. does it ever kind of, I don't, I don't know how to say it, does it kind of floor you a little bit that like these guys sure. are coaching you? <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I mean, now, when it comes to, like, Pioli and Dimitrov and Jim Schwartz and, and those guys, look, I, I, I mean, I, I knew Scott because Scott was the one who called me to uh, to come up here when I first came up here to visit and work out because I'd been playing with, with the Falcons. Yeah. And then I, was, I went back to the – I mean, I had done a workout with Phil Savage and with Bill watching it and Nick watching it. And I thought, well, I'm not going to get signed. I went back to the airport, and there, there were no cell phones at the time. So, you know, this van drops me back off at the airport, and I'm literally walking to my gate. And over the loudspeaker, it says, Louis Riddick, pick up a white courtesy phone. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I pick it up, and it's Pioli. And he says, turn around. Van will be outside. Call your, call your wife or your fiance. She was my girlfriend at the time. She's my wife now. He said, I'd uh, have her send you some clothes. Bill wants to sign you. And that's how my career started here, and I never went back to Atlanta. Wow. And so, I mean, that's what Scott was at the time. I mean, Scott was driving Bill around, and, you know, he was a personnel guy. Nick was my position coach and the coordinator. I knew that those guys, I mean, I knew what Bill was when he was at the Giants. Right. I had never heard of Nick Saban before, but I knew as soon as I got here that this guy was... <laughs> He used to give me nightmares, man, at how he would yell and demand and yell. But he was so buttoned up. You just knew that what he was telling you was, if I just do what he tells me, we're going to win. The reason why we lose is because basically I f***ed it up. Not because of what he did, because I didn't do what he told me. So I knew that these guys were sharp, man. And, I mean, Kirk Ferris was always a great guy. Scotty O'Brien, the special teams coach, had coached me in, in college at Pitt. He says, I mean, I just had somebody just tell me this the other day that they believe that Scotty O'Brien is the best special teams coach maybe in the history of the league that they'd ever been around. And he was that good. Um, So you knew that you were around something special as far as the coaching staff is concerned. You didn't know it so much. I mean, Ozzy was kind of going back and forth between personnel and coaching at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I knew that was just the great Ozzy Newsom. That's just, that's number 82 to me, you know, when I saw him. And, you know, when he was hanging around, didn't know he'd become a Hall of Fame GM. But, I mean, you knew he had a ton of football knowledge. And when we got out on the field, man, you just knew that we were always prepared. We always knew what the other team was going to do. We, we played a certain way. We played smart football. Bill demanded smart football. If your ass was busting assignments, you wouldn't play. And those are the things that became hallmarks of his program in New England. I mean, he still was the same way. He didn't always have the best athletes, but he had smart, physical guys that would kick your ass. And that's what he wanted, and that's how Nick was. I mean, obviously Nick has a bunch of five-stars down there at Bama now, but Nick was was a master, man. He called a game off of a 3 by 5 index card. He never had a big, long call sheet. 
Nick just knew what he needed to do, and he was he was brilliant, man. He's, he's as good as Bill is, and I have all the respect in the world for Bill and, and, and love when I get to talk to him. I mean, Nick was like a savant, man. He, he knew his shit, and that's why he's the greatest college coach of all time. So it was it was special. It wasn't always fun. I can tell you that because I mean I spent a lot of nights, sleepless nights at home, knowing I had maybe made a mistake in the practice before, because they would be on your ass something fierce and but it was that kind of demand, that kind of standard that I would I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, because it is it has driven me to what I've been able to accomplish now. Because everything I do with football is what I learned from those two dudes. Everything. Wow. And the way they drove me is the way I approach this TV job. I tried to play that way. I was that way in the front office. I sometimes, my, you know, sometimes to my kids' detriment, they say, look, Dad, you're not Nick, you know, and we're not you. You don't need to coach us that hard or be honest that hard, but that's what I take from them, and I wouldn't change it for the world. So the, uh, the other thing, of course, from kind of that era, it, it was 93, you had a, mm-hmm. a front row seat to – Kind of, it's. I mean, it's still an iconic moment for for Browns mm-hmm. fans that Eric Metcalf's mm-hmm. second punt return uh, against the Steelers. I mean, not even mm-hmm. a front row seat. You were escorting him into the end zone. Um, yeah, did, yeah. What do you remember from from that? What I remember about that return in particular was we we had been doing that to people all year long. Yeah, Eric was fantastic, especially on punts. Randy Baldwin used to return kickoffs. Eric was excellent at fielding the ball and, and being able to see the whole field. And what was cool about that was we always had our, our best return was wall, right? It was, it was or rather, yeah, it was block left wall, right? Or something like that was called. And like we had on that team, we had Steve on Moore, Eric Turner. Mm-hmm. We had some of our best players were on special teams, especially on the return teams because Metcalf was that good. And we just knew if we got just a couple big blocks, he was gone, man, and we set that we set that return up perfectly. I remember us springing him for touchdowns against the Bengals at uh, Riverfront Stadium that year. Randy Baldwin had a kickoff return for a touchdown that year, and back then it was when the blindside blocks were legal. So it was what, what was cool about that is on, when we would watch the tape the next day, like the whole team would come in there and try and watch because we were literally knocking guys out and. Because we knew we could flip games on just return plays on special teams, so and that that that's a credit to Scott O'Brien, our special teams coach. Bill was a former special teams coach. We used to have special teams periods where they would take guys like myself, uh, Randy Baldwin, Eddie Sutter, Metcalf, out of Benny Thompson, out of our regular team drills for our position for safety, linebacker, whatever it was, and we would just practice those things because we knew we were that good at it. So. I still talk to Eric Metcalf whenever I see him. We we talk to each other on social media and stuff. And we oftentimes reminisce about the glory days, man, of him returning kicks like that. It, the, the stadium used to go crazy for that stuff. I, I, I missed the hell out of that. <laughs> so back to the current team. Obviously, the, yeah. the Browns have a pretty good pair of running backs, um, mm-hmm. Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Mm-hmm. Do those guys, and of course that offensive line too, you got to mention that yep. in that run game. Does this yep. run game remind you – of, of any other run game in particular. I, I mean, I know you mentioned the Kubiak and, and the Shanahan, the, the scheme, yeah. but do these backs in this line remind you of, of any kind of run combo you've seen before? Um, 
not not off the top of my head per yeah. se. I mean, but but I will say this. Look, I mean, I, I played again. Okay, if I just go back again to these teams when you know when I was here in Cleveland in particular, we played against the Steelers when they had Bam Morris, Barry Foster, and John L. Williams. So I've been I've been on the other side of the ball when teams have two head, three headed monsters that just gut you, and that's what this team is like with with Kareem and Nick. I mean. Nick Chubb was coming out of college was look between him and Sony Michelle. I thought I favored Nick Chubb all day, and I remember say, saying it on Twitter. Like, we're, you're going to be teams are going to be wanting to find next Nick Chubb because this guy is that good, and you see it now. I mean, he can just he'll steal your heart and steal your manhood with how physical he is, and then he's got great feet and ability to make you miss and home run speed. And then Kareem Kareem's like a freaking steal for the Chiefs out of the third round out of Toledo. And Brett Beast, their GM down there, is a great talent evaluator, and he knew it from watching his tape from early on. And I remember saying that, you know, when they drafted him, I said, this guy looks like, he looks like Emmett Smith. He has that kind of lower body balance, doesn't have great speed, but if you don't wrap him up, he's just going to run through tackles, he's just going to churn you, churn you up and just grind you into a pulp. And that's what these two guys are going to do. And this old line, when it's healthy, is as good as any in the league. I mean, Jedrick Wills is fantastic. Batonio is one of the best athletes in the league. Treader is a very good athlete. Uh, you know, Jack Conklin is a freaking stud. I mean, these guys are these guys are monsters. So, and then when you when you coach it up the way that this team coaches it up from a schematic standpoint, that's why they are what they are. And it is not fun for defenses. And um, it's it's Cleveland through and through, man. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to ask you two more things. Um, we, we talked about the staff that, that Bill put together when he was here. And I, I think one mm-hmm. of the thing, and it's certainly not comparing these staffs directly, but the point here is one of the things that has helped Kevin Stefanski is put together a really strong staff. You know, Bill Callahan mm-hmm. is a guy on that staff that's been huge. Sure. like that. How important yep. is it for a coach, especially a first-year guy, to have put together a staff, a, a strong staff that he trusts and he can lean on? Well, it's, it's huge because, you know what, coaches are teachers. And... Teachers need to be able to teach in all different environments and relate to players in all different environments and all different circumstances, especially a season like this year where it was all over Zoom and you didn't have one-on-one you know, interaction. So you have to be a master communicator in order to get players on the same page in this kind of environment unlike any other. So I think what it speaks to is just what – truly their level of competence is for them to get their players, you know, to play this well in a season that's not set up for new staffs to do well. It's just not. This is set up for the for the teams like uh, like the Saints uh, to do well, for the, like the Chiefs to do well, like the Steelers to do well because they've been together for a while. And for Kevin to come in as a first-time head coach with the new staff like this, and to put it all together like he has and get them all pulling in the same direction, which, again, hasn't always been the case in Cleveland, as you know. Right. And in recent years where the staff is going in 5,000 different directions, everybody exer- you know, exercising a different agenda, it's a tested testament to him. And his ability to identify, incorporate, get them all on the same page, speaks to his leadership and the fact that, and, you know, and ultimately shows the fans around here that they may have their guy for a while. And that's pretty cool. The city, the city hasn't seen that in a long time. And, and then the last guy I have to ask you about, of course, 
is is the quarterback Baker Mayfield, another guy that Browns fans are certainly hoping they have their guy uh, for a mm-hmm. while. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, last year was tough for Baker. This year started a little slow, but it seems like he's it seems like he's turned a corner. So, uh, where are you at with Baker right now? Well, I mean, let's let's put it this way, okay? This guy's played for four different head coaches in three years. Yeah. I mean, Hugh, Greg, Freddie, and now Kevin. I mean, and I don't know how you can really get any feel for, or rather, how you could be too down on anyone who's going through that kind of turmoil. And it's not just the difference in the you know the four different coaches. It's like why you had four different coaches, which speaks to a whole new level of dysfunction. So he's just, I mean, he's been like ice skating uphill his whole career in terms of getting stability and, and continuity. So for him to now have settled in to where, especially since the bye happened for them right in the middle of their season, for him to have settled in to where he really understands what they're asking him to do and how they need him to play, how they need him to, you know, as Kevin Stefanski told us, like the old big Bill Parcells axiom, you have to, before you can win, you have to know how not to lose. Hmm. It seems like Baker understands that now. And he understands that this offense runs through the running game. He understands that they are going to be opportunistic taking their shots down the field in play action. And he understands that sometimes he's going to have to win from the pocket and just be judicious and smart with the football. I think the way in which he's showing you he can do that shows you that given some stability and the continuing you know development of this program, he is, he is the guy for this team. He is the guy for this city. As long as just keep the other stuff around him, you know, moving in the right direction, and he'll be just fine. Let's not have four more coaches in the next three years, because if you do that, then you're going to be back to asking those questions about should we, you know, should we uh, exercise this fifth year option? Should we be looking for another replacement? All that shit that people do to quarterbacks all the time because they just want to ignore circumstances and just you know do what we always do in today's day and age: blame it on the head coach, blame it on the quarterback, blame it on the head coach, blame it on the quarterback. It's either the guy sucks or he's great. It's never anywhere in between. It's either he sucks or he's great. And with Baker, he's 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 been a victim of that. And I, and I understand it comes with the territory when you're the first overall pick that people expect you to walk on water. But he's still a human being. He still needs to be set up for success. And it seems like they're doing that for him now. So I would be optimistic, provided that things stay on the right on the path they are now. I'd be optimistic that we've got our guy. Thanks to Lewis Riddick for the interview. We're going to take a break. Then on the other side, Mary Kay and I talk with PenLive.com's Ravens reporter. Aaron Kaznitz. And now we welcome on from PenLive.com, covers the Ravens for them. That is, of course, our sister site, Aaron Kaznitz. Aaron, how are you? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Doing well. We're doing, we're doing great. Thank you. Uh, well, first of all, you know, uh, I'm sure that Dan watched the game the other night. I watched it as well. And uh, Lamar looked pretty good in that game. It looked like he came back with fresh legs, a great new attitude. And I don't know. I mean, do you think these guys, uh, Lamar in particular, are they on the upswing after being in COVID hell? <laughs> Certainly, I think emotionally they're on the upswing. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, covering this team this year has been a little interesting because because Lamar hasn't been himself at times. He he hasn't he, he he's really a joyful kind of person. He's he's energetic and all that, and that kind of came back um, uh, Tuesday night. Weird to say weird to say Tuesday night for a football game, but he did a little mini high step when he scored a touchdown. And he sprinted to celebrate with teammates, and he's been laughing in press conferences. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of the, you don't know what you have until it's gone. I, I think he, he, I think COVID did hit him. He, he, he was 
you know, sick and ill. And he said he spent most of the 10 days he was on the COVID list sleeping. So I think when he got back, he was energized, liked being around his teammates. Um, will that turn into better production, you know, against a, a team that's playing well, like the Browns? I, I don't know. That's really tough to say, but at least emotionally and, and momentum wise, I do think they're they're moving in the right direction. Now, when it comes to Lamar, obviously everybody remembers what he did last year with the MVP season. And it was probably unrealistic to expect him to, to replicate that. But what, what has been different about him on the field this year? Yeah, I mean, it, there's so many things. And I think we, we put so much attention on the quarterback, but it really is a, an entire offense. And, and you look at the offense last year, the Ravens broke records for, for their you know, rushing yards. Well, they had two really, really good offensive linemen, Marshall Yanda, who's an eight-time Pro Bowler, and Ronnie Stanley, who's a first-team All-Pro left tackle. Neither of those guys are on the field anymore. Uh, Marshall Yanda retired in March. Uh, Ronnie Stanley uh, suffered a torn ACL um, in early November. So and that's part of it. I, I do think that defenses are playing Lamar Jackson a little differently. They've they've figured out that you really have to take away the middle of the field for him because he's got such good field vision and, and he's a really accurate passer, you know, when he's kind of fitting the ball in there, but you're forcing him to throw outside the numbers. So it's partly the defenses, but partly, partly the unrealistic standard, like you said, uh, he had one of the best second seasons in NFL history and partly that the talent around him and the offensive line isn't dominant and they're, you're kind of forcing Lamar Jackson to do a lot more than he had to do during his MVP season. And I think it's, it's all that combination of factors. Has, has he regressed as a passer? I don't necessarily know if that's the case, but, but certainly the offense has regressed and he hasn't been able to, to carry them the way he did, you know, at times last year. Now, you don't sound super, super confident uh, that, you know, that they are the, the Ravens team that, uh, that really dominated the Browns 38 to six in that opener. Uh, it doesn't sound like you're really sure that they're ready to kind of come back and, and make this playoff run and do exactly what they need to do to get back to the playoffs. How, what's your vibe or your take on that? Yeah, I think I'm kind of going to wait and see. What they did against Dallas was impressive. They almost ran for 300 yards, and I don't want to discount that, that, you know, uh, they ran the ball well. Like we talked about, Lamar Jackson was sort of back back into his old, you know, uh, playing, playing the, the way and the style that he had so much success with. But I mentioned the, the injuries and the retirement on the offensive line. They started six different offensive line combinations. Their top blocking tight end, Nick Boyle, uh, is out for the season as well. They just they don't have the same personnel as they did last year. Um, we don't talk about blockers all that much, but but when you run an offense like this, like like the Greg Roman runs, you really need to have that. Um, you know, but there's a lot of reasons for optimism that they ran the ball really well. I, I also think Lamar gets the headlines, but in, in that week one game. Uh, the Ravens defense coordinator, uh, Don Martindale, designed a really good game plan that really, really frustrated Baker Mayfield. Uh, Clayus Campbell, defensive end, had, had three pass breakups. I think that kind of tells you how interesting that that defensive game plan was. You're, you're dropping back this this big, long pass rusher into coverage. So those are kind of things that, that Ravens fans can be optimistic about. The defense has been really good. The running game still has the potential to be really good. But because the personnel isn't there and they haven't consistently beat good teams this year it's a little hard for me to to say that these are the Ravens of 2019 just because they're they're getting some momentum a win over the Browns you know on the road in December that that could change that that could that could turn the vibe but right now I'm still I'm still in a wait and see kind of mode now you mentioned uh, you mentioned guys not being there one guy that should be back is Baker Mayfield's buddy from Oklahoma Mark Andrews how much of a difference does he make in that passing game with Lamar Jackson, because we know that 
there's just something about Ravens quarterbacks in general, but especially Lamar, they love their tight ends. Yeah, and Mark Andrews is a, is a very good tight end. It's it's not just that oh he's he's Lamar's favorite guy. He's also a good route runner who gets open. And he makes tough catches. Imagine you guys saw the the season opener. I think he had one of his best catches of the year. Yeah. Shuffled one hand in the end zone on a ball that was a little little off target. So yeah, he he's aside from from Marquise Brown, their their top receiver. Mark Andrews is the one guy who's really an above average talent. I think in that you know skill position group, um, and, and he's the one guy who you get into the red zone that, that I think Lamar really trusts uh, ten, uh, Mark Andrews had 10 touchdown catches last year. So yeah, it, it's very, very important. Um, I think it, it gives them more options. Um, I mentioned that Nick Boyle, their other tight end uh, was out for the year. So the last couple of weeks, the Ravens have been playing with tight ends who weren't on the roster up until a couple of weeks ago that they've, they've had to, you know, replenish that depth chart with practice squad guys, mid season signings. So yeah, it, it's kind of hard to understand. I, I think Mark Andrews entirely changes their offense. Um, mostly because he's a guy who can win one-on-one matchups. He's a guy who, who you trust on third down and trust in the red zone. And, you know, as we know, so, so many games do come down to winning on third down, winning on the red zone. And that's where Mark Andrews has been um, extra, extra important for the Ravens. When you look at that first game, uh, what stands out to me is the fact that uh, Kevin Stefanski really did not know his offensive personnel at all when he put them out on the field for the very first time. Now, obviously, a lot of things went wrong in all phases of the game for the Browns on that day. Uh, but offensively, uh, you know, Baker Mayfield was rattled, as you mentioned. Martindale had a, had a good game plan for him. Uh, you know, they have really completely changed since then, as Baker Mayfield noted this week. Uh, so my question is, now I see that, you know, Calais is back, Brandon Williams is back, Jimmy Smith might be back, maybe you can tell us more about that, but uh, do you think that, that this defense will be able to have similar success, even though the Browns now kind of have their identity, which is their two-headed monster, which is play action, which is getting May- Mayfield out on, on boots and keepers and things like that. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, that's that's what's really fascinating to me. Like, like I said before, it's, it's so fun to talk about Lamar, but but uh, a lot of the chess match, I, I think that'll be really exciting is that side of the ball because you're right. Um, I mean, you guys would know way better than I, but it seems like the Browns have, have really found a rhythm in, in terms of knowing what they want to do, knowing, knowing how defenses are going to play them and, and that sort of thing. Um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be really interesting. Uh, Clayus Campbell ac- actually did miss practice today again with a calf injury that he's been dealing with for about a month. So he certainly won't be at hundred percent. I assume he'll play. Uh, and Jimmy Smith was back at practice. So I assume he'll play. So the Ravens defense is getting healthier um, in a lot of regards, um, but they've struggled against, against teams that can run the ball. Their, their losses this season, uh, you know, you look at the Titans, the teams that runs the ball a lot. You look at the, the Patriots, they lost to the Patriots. Um, and they ran the ball effectively. Obviously, the Browns fit into that mold. If you can kind of develop a, a little bit of a rhythm against the Ravens, you, you, you stop Martindale from dialing up all those blitzes because you're in third and shorts instead of third and longs. That's really important. So it seems like Stefanski and, and with Chubb and Hunt and, and the way Mayfield has been playing that, that they can do that. They can get into a rhythm. They can, they can stay out of third and longs and make things difficult. Um, that said, the, the Ravens defense, it's pretty much every time over the past couple of years, I've been covering them every time I think it's a tough matchup. They, they do usually play pretty well and they usually have a pretty good game plan. So um, to me, it's, it's a fascinating matchup and, and really one that could determine whether or not the Ravens make the playoffs because I don't think the Ravens offense is, is really equipped this year to score 
you know, in, in the thirties regularly. And if the Browns do what they've been doing lately, that's how much you need to win. So it, it'll be fascinating to see, uh, see that matchup play out. So, so I'm glad you said that because, you know, obviously one of the storylines with the Ravens is once they get past this game, that schedule is fair, pretty favorable. They've got Jacksonville and the Bengals, uh, the Giants in between. Um, so there's a chance there if, if they win this game on Monday night. Do, do you feel like this is kind of a make or break game for this team? Yeah, and Lamar Jackson even said it, and he seemed really loose and, and relaxed in his media session this week, but he even said it's sort of win or go home, and it's easy to see why you feel like that because if they lose this one, they're seven and six, it's a possibility that, 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 that you know, they could win out when their final three games and wouldn't get in, especially because um, all their losses have come to AFC opponents, so they don't fare that well in tiebreakers, those kind of situations. Um, but that said, they're going to be heavily favored I know the Giants are playing well, but they're certainly going to be heavily favored against the Jaguars and Bengals. They'll, they'll still be favored um, significantly against the Giants. If you win this one, you feel really good. If you're a Ravens fan, you kind of get over that last hump. Um, and not only that, you, you, if you win this one, you got past the coronavirus outbreak. You, you, you got past a three-game losing streak. So, yeah, I, I think that's this game is, is really – um, it's as big of a regular season game as they've had here in a long time, because last year they cruised the division title. Um, and this year, you know, they, they got off to a good enough start that they could weather a little bit of a losing streak. But if you lose this one, it, that might be it, you know, um, based on how the AFC plays out. So it's, it's a fascinating, you know, game for a lot of reasons and, and the high stakes are certainly one of them. And, you know, you mentioned Ronnie Stanley being out and obviously Ronnie can hold up to a Miles Garrett. Uh, so what do you think, you know, what's going on there now at left tackle? And what do you think of uh, the matchup there with Miles, who always finds a way, they'll move him around now and they'll find the weak, weak link. But what do you see as the matchup there? Yeah, so the Ravens moved their right tackle, Orlando Brown Jr., who made the Pro Bowl last year as well as an alternate. He's, he's not, you know, quite as polished as Ronnie Stanley, but a very good offensive tackle. They moved him to the left side and he's been holding up pretty well. Um, and he played left tackle at um, Oklahoma. He talks about how that's been his natural position. So he, he's been really good. Um, maybe not as good as Stanley was last year, but he's been fine. The problem has been the other side, right tackle. They've actually, the past four or five games, they've rotated players at right tackle. Uh, DJ Fluker, who's a veteran, played guard for a lot of seasons for, for the Seahawks and some other teams. Um, he's been rotating in there with a couple different guys at right tackle. They'll probably start rookie Tyree Phillips at right tackle, who played guard earlier in the year. So that's really where the matchup would be if the if the Browns do end up moving Garrett to, you know, to, to line up over the right tackle. That's probably a little bit more of a favorable matchup. Um, Orlando Brown, he, he's much better, you know, as a run blocker and, and you know, strong guy. That there's always been the question about him because he hit a bad combine. There's always been the question, you know, if you put a lot of pressure on Orlando Brown, is, is he maybe not going to hold up for a full game? Um, he's answered most of those questions, but – I think the Browns could go on it two ways. They could, they could either just try and keep Miles Garrett coming at Orlando Brown and see how Orlando Brown holds up for a full game, or they could go to the right side where I think he'd have a little bit more of a fit, more of a favorable matchup. Um, and, you know, as, as we know with, with both of these teams, the big key is the running game. If, if the Ravens can run the ball well, they might not have to worry so much about, you know, a two, three sack game from Miles Garrett who, who can really wreck your game plan if, if you let them. Okay, before we let you go, obviously we're recording this on Friday, so uh, when people listen to this, it'll have been a couple of days, so <laughs> we, we won't hold you to it. But 
do, do you have a prediction for for Monday's game yet? Is it too early to ask? Uh, I mean, I, you know, predictions you, you can always always change them as you go, but um, <laughs> I think what I what I did for our predictions was twenty four fourteen Ravens. Um, I just going back and watching that Week One game, I. I I have some trust in Don Martindale and, and that uh, deep defensive staff with the Ravens and, and the defense getting healthy that maybe they'll turn in one of their signature defensive performances, but who knows, man, that, that Browns offense has been good enough that I also wouldn't be surprised if it goes the other way, but for, for now I got 24, 14 Ravens. I've got to say with the way I've been predicting games, that's just my motto. Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he is uh, he is Aaron Kazanitz from PenLive. That is our sister site, of course. You can head over to PenLive.com and see his work. And also give him a follow at Aaron Kaz Reports on Twitter. Aaron, we appreciate the time. Yep. Thanks, guys. Looking forward to Monday. Thank you.